If you, if you have your Bibles, you can stand with me. Colossians chapter 3, <clears throat> our text verse is verse 5. Colossians 3, verse 5. Are you there? Yes, say amen. Colossians 3, 1 verse, verse 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Father, we stand before you today as a needy people. We need a touch from God. We thank you for your ever-abiding presence of the Holy Spirit we thank you that your words alive today speak to our hearts. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You can be seated. Over the course of the last weeks, our focus has been on how to develop a heavenly mindset. We spend our time gleaning truths from the first four verses of Colossians chapter 1. And by the way, if we're going to find truth, it has to be in God's Word. And so we focused on those first four verses. And we found from those verses that if we are risen with Christ, we are to seek those things which are above. And we're also going to set our minds on things above. And those two areas are presented to us in the text in the form of a command. But I'm convinced as we follow that command, we will soon discover that if we are really born again, what began as a command will become a want to. I want to seek those things above. I want to mind heavenly things. And so as we walk with Christ, that command becomes a want to. And it becomes the pursuit of our lives. We want to become heavenly minded. And this is true, according to our text a few weeks ago, because we have died to ourselves, and now our life is hidden in Christ. Our new spiritual life is hidden. It's an inner life, and it's now in union with Christ, who has brought us To be with Him in God. He has reconciled us. That's our new life. Christ Himself is now our new implanted life. Divine life. But now in this world, this life is hidden. 
A week or so ago in verse 4, we discovered a wonderful promise. That one of these glorious days could be today. That one of these glorious days, when Christ is manifested in glory, we will also be manifested in glory for the divine life which saturates our life, our entire being, will now be glorified in us. Thank God for that. I'm amazed of things that I hear, not only from unsaved, but even from Christians. And I hear people say things like, well, you cannot know for sure you're saved. How many know that's a lie of the devil? In John's letter, he said, these things are written that you might know you have eternal life. And eternal life is in his son. John said the one who has Christ has eternal life. The one who does not have Christ does not have eternal life. So yes, you can know for sure that you're saved. Now, by the way, if you don't know for sure, I'd find out. I'd make sure that you know. If you don't know for sure, you come and see me. Well, said, I will have a talk. Jesus wants you to know you're saved. But the next question I hear often, how do I know I'm saved? How do I know I'm saved? May I ask you a question? How do you know you're saved? How do you know you are saved? Now, I would guess, and I don't think I'll, admit, I'll be wrong on this, that most of the time when we hear that question, how do I know I'm saved, our minds will go back to a time, a day or a moment, when you had some sort of emotional connection with Jesus Christ. I remember years ago, uh, there was a sort of a, a ditty, a rhyme that we would sing. And you would start out, it was on a Sunday. Remember that song? And when you got to that day of the week that you were saved, you stood up. For some it was on a Sunday, some it was on a Monday. And so a lot of times when we ask that question, how do you know you were saved? Most of us go back to a time, a day, where we think, well, yeah, that's the day. I went forward to church. Maybe at home I knelt beside my bedside. How many know you can be saved anywhere? Amen. Doesn't have to be in church. Not a bad place to be saved, but you can be saved at home. And so I'm not going to deny that time in our lives. I remember the time when I went forward. And i got to tell you, I don't know why I came forward. I don't remember what the preacher preached. I probably wasn't listening. <laughs> Rick. I'm kidding with Rick. Okay, I'm just kidding with him. I don't remember the song they sang for invitation. And I had been under conviction for quite some time through the years, over the three or four years before that. Not every day, of course. 
But not that Sunday particularly. But I went forward that day. We had received a visit from that pastor that Friday evening before that. And I warned Pam before. I knew he was coming. He told me he was. And you know, when preachers come, they come, they come for a reason. They know, they know you're not saved. I told Pam, I said, whatever you do, don't let that man talk us into anything we don't want to do. <laughs> I didn't realize that night she made her mind up. <laughs> I didn't, but she did. And so the morning that I went, there wasn't any fireworks going off in my mind. Wasn't a great, uh, give me three cheers for Jesus service. I knew I was lost. And I knew I needed a Savior. So how do I know? How do you know? Now again, I don't want to take away the importance of that day. If I remember correctly, uh, Billy Graham's wife, can't think of her name right now, Ruth. By her own testimony, she could not remember the day she got saved. So how do we know? Matthew 7, 16, look what Jesus says. You shall know them by what? Their fruits. You will know them by their fruits. Not that I have been counting, but if I were, through the years, I have lost count of those who have come to an altar and prayed and never came to church again, anywhere. They got emotional, they cried. They prayed. And the problem was, they came lost, and guess how they left? They left lost. There are those today that are part of a church, a local church, and they are banking on the fact that in such a, such a day, 20 years ago, I went forward. Or whatever it is they go back to. But my friend, that is not true evidence of salvation. Salvation, Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. I didn't say it, he did. You get mad at me. And by the way, he said a tree can only bear either a good fruit or a bad fruit. There's no one in between. He also said there are two roads. One is very narrow and difficult. One is very wide and easy to travel. One leads to eternal life. One leads to eternal damnation. So Jesus says, you shall know them by their fruits. Now the word fruit was simply a Jewish metaphor for both Character and conduct. So when you ask somebody, are you saved? Am I saved? We will know by the fruit, by our character, or our conduct. Now think about that. I know I've been saved, not because of what I did the last Sunday in January 1974, and that was certainly part of it. But I know I'm saved because Christ has changed the way I live. 
I struggled for a couple of years about salvation. And, and Pam and I, we would come to church. I can be careful here. I'm trying to win friends and influence people. But we came to church a lot more than some Christians came to church. And we knew we were lost. We weren't being hypocritical about it. Now make no mistake about it. Christ wasn't first in our life. I mean, it wasn't our priority, but we came quite often. Now I must confess that my grandmother uh, thought I was the best. How could she not? I mean, I was her favorite. How could I not be? So I came early on to please her, made my grandma happy. But I was lost. But one thing I determined, not that I'd been involved in church, I hadn't been much in my life. I went a little while as a, as a, as a uh, pre-teenager for a few years. But one thing I didn't want to do, I didn't want to be a hypocrite. I wanted to be genuine. And the only way to be genuine is if Christ saves you. You can't do it on your own. So when we're saved, when we're born again, righteous living becomes the norm for our lives. Think about that. Before we came to Christ, before we were born again, we were slaves to sin, and our lives were marked by unrighteous living. You know why sinners sin? Because they're sinners. You know why I sin? Because I was a sinner. My life was marked by unrighteous living. Our skills, our capabilities, our bodies, they can be used to serve many purposes. And those purposes could be good or they can be bad. And when we were in sin, every part of our body, every part of our body was vulnerable. In Christ, every part of our body can be an instrument for service. We can use everything we are to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's the one to whom we offer our service that makes the difference. My friend, my service to Jesus has made a difference in my life. I no longer serve sin. So the question is, under whose control? Now think about this. Will we continue to put our lives under? Are we going to allow Satan to continue to control our lives? Sin to control our lives? Or are we going to allow Jesus Christ to control our lives. And I don't care who you are. doesn't matter how long we've walked with God. There was a time in our lives we were slaves to sin. But now, through Christ, we have the opportunity to live the way God wants us to live. 
We are now new creatures in Jesus Christ. All things have become new. Thank you, Lord. And whether we want to admit it, admit it or not, we have always served something or someone. I smile when I remember my grandfather on my mother's side. <clears throat> he and I were very close. And I asked him one day, I said, Grandpa, are you the boss of your house? He said, I am if your grandmother is gone and the dog is tied up. <laughs> but the fact of the matter, we've always served someone. Always. And the fact that we have served someone always implies that we have need for mastery. For someone to serve. And the bottom line is this. There's really only two masters. We either serve sin or the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the only two choices. So the choice is clear. But not only is the choice clear, the choice is required. Who will you serve? Now, by the way, this is sort of a footnote. Put it at the bottom of your notes. When you get home, go to chapter 6 of Romans. He'll, he'll talk more about that, all right? Who will you serve? Now, by the way, the only rightful master is the Creator. That's why we should serve Him. But we have a choice. If we are in Christ, if we are risen with Christ, as the first few verses of Colossians 3 says, if we have become a Christian, folks, a change has taken place in your life. Now think about that. If you have been born again, you had to say goodbye to the old ways. If we are born again, we had to say goodbye to the old man. If we're born again, we had to say goodbye to Mr. Wrong. Those who were born again had to say goodbye to all the old habits, goodbye to our passions and the practices of our past. We are new creatures in Christ. So now, now that we're born again, we've been risen with Christ, if we are, Jesus has restored our life. We were dead in our sins. We were dead in our trespasses. But now we're made alive by the Spirit of God. Thank you, Jesus. We're made alive. <laughs> he has given me abundant life. He's given us abundant life. Alan, I'm taking this thing off. Okay, I'm having trouble with it today. He has given us abundant life. How many are glad for that? Abundant life. And because of that, we are now new creations. We are made in His image. And we're being conformed every day more and more to His image. And because of that, 
Now that we're born again, the way we now live ought to be different than the way we used to live. And it ought to be different than the way the world lives. Amen. And I want to submit to you today. And by the way, I, I certainly believe and preach the assurance of salvation. But my friend, if your life has not been changed, if your life is not different, chances are you've not been born again. Amen. Now I'm ready to preach. That brings us to our text. Look at verse 5 again. Things to mortify, things to put off. Notice the therefore, verse 5, Colossians 3. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. How many know what the word mortify means? Anybody? It means put to death. Now, a lot of translations put the word therefore first, therefore. And in the Greek, the word therefore is emphatic. Because of the promise of the day, when Christ appears in his glory, we also will appear in glory as well. And because of that, therefore, here's what we're to do in the meantime. I realize today, if you turn on some talk shows... Somebody told me one time if you took all the talk show hosts and put them head to head, you'd have a long line of nothing. I don't know how true that is. But everybody's got an opinion. We live in a world where a lot of people are spiritual, right? And it was same it was true in the in the world of the apostles. And there was some teaching going on during that age that uh, they were teaching, well, you know, you could uh, uh, attain a certain high spiritual and moral state uh, if you just practice self-denial, if you practice uh, self-mortification, and uh, you kept all these regulations. Uh, for the, uh, some of the Judaizers, it was legalism. Uh, for others, the ascetics, that was a spiritual realm, you know, getting in touch with yourself, all this kind of thing. So nothing's really changed. And I want you to know, the New Testament absolutely preaches against that. There's nothing we can do for ourselves to earn salvation. There's nothing we can do to become more loved by God. He loves us. And our salvation is complete in Christ. We studied that in Sunday school this morning. So that was going on in that day and time. And I want you to realize the New Testament, without a doubt, absolutely opposed that kind of teaching. They were adamant that was not any good. In fact, it was nothing less than false teaching. But we cannot miss the fact they still forbid certain activities that should not have a part in the lives of believers. And I want to tell you today, if you're a child of God, live like one. 
There are people I've met who claim to be Christians, and my friend, you ought, they ought to be ashamed of the way they live. Because they're not giving a good testimony for God. We represent Christ to a lost world. Our lives need to be different. So when Paul, when the Bible says to mortify our members, which are upon the earth, what the Bible refers to is certain aspects of our earthly nature. And nature simply uh, defines or describes our disposition. Our nature is a disposition. Our nature is an inborn quality that generates and produces power in us. Think about that. Before Adam sinned, before he fell in the garden, he had a human nature. He had a human disposition. When Adam sinned, he acquired a sin nature. He didn't have it before chapter 3. But then he acquired a sin nature. So at that point, Adam now had two natures. He had a human nature, but he also had a sin nature. Another term for nature could be the word, in in this context, capacity. Capacity. When Adam sinned, he gained a capacity for sin. But I'm glad for the second man, Adam, Jesus Christ. When we become Christians, we receive a capacity toward God. A capacity toward God. The moment we were saved, a radical change took place in our disposition. We received a divine nature. Now, also bear in mind, we did not become, we did not become a new kind of human being, but now we have a bent toward God. Now we lean toward God. Now we're reaching out to be more like Him. And I know Brother Rick just sang this song a few weeks ago, but it would have been good for the day. The old man is dead. We know that. Amen. The old man is dead. But we have to understand, we still, all of us, possess characteristics unique to man. But now, through Christ, God has introduced something new into our lives. Something new into our lives, and that's a divine disposition. Amen. A divine disposition. When we're born again, we receive a divine nature. And God reinduces us into the born-again person to the same orientation that Adam had before he sinned. We now 
have a bent toward God. And now that you and I as Christians are favorably disposed toward God, God is able to do things in us to make us more like Christ. We have acquired that ability. Now remember, in our new nature, we are legally just before God. Think about, think about that. We are now legally just before God. My friend, that hasn't always been true. Before Christ, we were guilty. Now we are legally just. There was a time in our lives, in all of us, when the sin nature held legal authority. The sin nature controlled our lives. And the sin nature is simply our inherent disposition towards sin. And we received that nature when we were born, the moment we took our first breath. A disposition toward rebellion against God. We were born with it. And we call that disposition a sin nature. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says it well. The heart is as hateful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? What a question. By the way, I know that Jeremiah is writing, but God is speaking. Whose heart is he talking about? He's talking about my heart. He's talking about your heart. It is desperately wicked. How many know you can be as bad as you want? Even as a Christian. But because we've been born again, we now live toward God. But before that, we lived with an inherent hostility toward God. We were in rebellion against God. Romans 8, 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Now, by the way, this does not mean that the old nature always acts as bad as it could. So I want you to know, under the old nature, we may not have been as bad as we could have been, but we were as bad off as we could have been without Christ. And even before salvation, we were capable of doing a lot of moral humanitarian things. But we have to admit, we did all of that apart from God. We operated our lives essentially apart from God. 
And our lives revolved around ourselves. We were king of the hill. We thought we were. And our orientation was man-centered, not God-centered. And our chief end, the chief goal of our lives was ourselves and not God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, look what it says. Among whom, that's the unsaved, also we once, all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. So at one time, that's where we were. We were all in that category, and that's why we must be born again. We have to have a new nature, otherwise we will not orient toward God. We need to be born again. No wonder Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Look at John 3, look at verse 19. And this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. So what does that mean? What does all this mean? It means that if we are believers, if we are truly born again, we are to live as examples of Jesus Christ. We're to glorify Him, not with just our mouth, but how we live and conduct our lives. And that means if I'm going to live like Christ lived, as an example for Christ, there are some things that I must put to death, certain aspects of my earthly nature. Now again, earthly nature is speaking about the old simple nature, the old self. Who I used to be. How many know he's a tough opponent? Amen. He's always trying to rear his ugly head. Now remember. Yes, it's true. We have died with Christ. And yes, we have been raised with him. But we didn't lose that earthly nature. Because it's still there. We are still susceptible to temptation and the evils of that sinful nature. He's always trying to pull us away from God. Sort of like a diseased limb of a tree. The Bible says we've got to cut these things off. We've got to mortify certain aspects of our flesh. Now remember... We're declared righteous. But here's what we have to do. Why? Because that old nature is still trying to get control of our lives. And my friend, he will do that until the day he dies, we die. Until we get to heaven. So if we're going to accomplish what God wants for us, if we're going to emulate Christ every day in our lives, be a great example to this world, It is going to take a conscious, daily decision to remove anything in our lives that either supports or feeds the desires 
of our ugly nature. We need to get rid of it. And we have to rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Child of God, we are not to live the way we lived before. We died. We were raised with Christ. We were raised to walk in the newness of life. So our lives must show evidence that we are new creations. Jesus says, you will know them by what? Their fruit. You will know them by their fruit. Romans 6, 11. The Bible says, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, just a reminder of that word reckon there, uh, the, he, the, the, Greek, the, the Greek word is an accounting term, and it means to write it on your ledger. Put it on your account. If you are in Christ, you are dead to sin. But I also make a notation on your account. You're dead to sin, but guess what? We are now alive to Jesus Christ, our Lord. How many are glad for that? Look at verse 13, Romans chapter 8. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify, there's our word mortify, the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Let me remind you this morning that death is both physical and spiritual. All people die physically, but only those who die with the Spirit will be raised to eternal life. Let's stand. Let's stand together. I don't know where you are in your walk with Christ. I would pray that you've been born again. But I also pray you're not relying on a one-time experience. And again, I'm not trying to take away from that. I know the Apostle Paul never forgot the day when he met Jesus. But understand, it wasn't just that day. It's the changes that Jesus brings about in our life every day. And if your life is not markedly different than it was, I would question your salvation. I would search diligently. Am I really Born again. Because my friend Jesus saves people to change their lives. You see, he loved us the way we were. But he loves us too much to let us live contented the way we were. And I beg you this morning. Don't play games with God. Don't be self-deceived. How do I know I'm saved? Has your life changed?
Father, we thank you today for the clarity of your word. I am thankful, Father, that your scripture teaches us that we can know for sure we are saved. But it also teaches us without a doubt there are ways to know for sure that we're not saved. And I pray for all that are listening today, whether here or online. I pray God would do a search of our hearts, of our lives. Has our life been changed? And God, I pray today you would challenge us to do something about it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Brother Rick, whenever you're ready. Oh, uh-huh.